Uh, my name is Leon. I'm the senior pastor here at the church, and uh, we are so thrilled that you could be with us here this afternoon. Have you enjoyed yourself so far? Yeah. Fantastic. Well, we're not finished yet, okay, so don't run for the doors or anything, but we are kind of coming towards the close of our time. And you know, um, we've been talking a little bit with you this afternoon about what makes a perfect Christmas and looking at some of the elements of a perfect Christmas, but we've not really mentioned until that drama sketch the Christmas story, which goes by another name, the Nativity. Now, how many of you remember being in nativity plays when you were a kid at school? Anyone remember that? You remember your mom running around looking for a tea towel to stick on your head because you were going to be the shepherd? And uh, um, any of you going to go to a nativity in the next couple of weeks? I'm sure many of you uh, moms and grandparents will as well. But you know, the interesting thing about the nativity um, is what can happen at them, isn't it? You know, kids are so great, like we saw on the video earlier on. And uh, there was this one kid, and he had a line in the nativity play at school. His only line was this, I am the light of the world. It's a reference to something that Jesus said. That was the only line he had, and he learned it, and he got it absolutely nailed in practice, in rehearsal. He was absolutely great. When it came to the big day, he had stage fright. This hall was filled with hundreds of people, a little bit like this afternoon. And when he came towards his line, he opened his mouth, and he completely lost all of the words. But to the rescue was mom sitting on the front row, and she mouthed the words up to him. And she just mouthed this, I am the light of the world. Little kid breathed a sigh of relief. Confidence flooded back to his body, and he bellowed at the top of his voice, my mom is the light of the world. Kind of got it a little bit wrong there um, in that what he should have said. But you know, I also saw a tweet this week, social media, if you're not sure what that is, a tweet, and, and a woman said, I've just been to my five year old's nativity. I didn't realize there were cheetahs, owls, elephants, and mermaids at the birth of Jesus. The story has kind of changed a little bit over the years. But you know, when you go to that first Christmas story, the nativity, and there's angels, and there's Mary and Joseph, and a baby, and a stable, and donkeys, and, and uh, shepherds coming with lambs, and wise men coming in a star. It all seems a little bit too perfect. A little bit too perfect to be true. Almost suspiciously perfect. Like perhaps somebody's made it up because they want to convince you of something that they want you to believe. But actually, if you dig into that first Christmas story, it's even more perfect than that. You see, it began with an old couple. An old couple who were really devout, they were very religious, they loved God, but they didn't have any children. And in that day and age, and in their faith, not to have kids was almost like a sign of disgrace. It almost felt to them like God was displeased with them. And to that couple, the angel came and said, you guys are going to have a son, and he's going to become John, who will be the forerunner, the messenger of Jesus, the central character in the Christmas story. It's like perfect. This old couple that thought that life never worked out for them, that God wasn't happy with them, that God was displeased with them. God came along and said, I choose you. That's perfect. And then Mary, she was a teenager, probably 14 or 15 years of age. And um, again, an angel came to her and said, I've, God has chosen you. You're going to be part of this story. She must have thought, 14 and 15, what have I done to deserve that? I've done nothing to deserve the favor of God. And yet God just said, I choose you. Perfect. And then what's interesting is that God chose a group of people to be the first group of people that would witness the baby. And that was the shepherds. And that's really interesting because shepherds, to be a shepherd in Israel at this time in history was like the lowest job you could do. And actually, um, in their kind of temple worship system, if you touched dead bodies of any description, you weren't allowed to go in the temple. These guys touched dead animals all the time. What they used to do, they used to prepare animals, give them to the religious people who used to take them into the temple to worship God. They were the outsiders. 
They were the outsiders. They didn't mix with religious people, and religious people didn't mix with them. And yet they were the group of people that God chose to be the first to witness the birth of his son. I think that's perfect. And then 1,500 miles away is a Roman emperor called Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man in the world at that time. Interestingly enough, his adopted father was a guy by the name of Julius Caesar. And he was given almost um, the attribution of like divinity. They used to call him a god. So Caesar Augustus, the adopted son of Julius Caesar, literally the son of a god. The son of a god, the most powerful man in the world. Yet all we know about him really in history is the five minutes that he gets in the story of Jesus. That's perfect. It's almost the whole story too suspiciously perfect. Is it true or did somebody just kind of make it up? Because you see, the problem is when we hear this perfect story at Christmas, life isn't perfect, is it? We know life isn't perfect. You know, we know life isn't perfect, many of us, because of what we see and experience in the world. You know, what we watch on the TV, what we read in our papers. You know, on your way in, you were given a program which we'd really love you to take home with you. That's for you to keep. And in the program, there's reference to a project that we're involved with as a church. It's in a place called Amlu, which is a little community outside of Kitwe in the northern part of Zambia in Africa. And in this community, there are 3,000 people that live in the community. The average life expectancy of men is between 35 and 38 years of age. There are hundreds of orphan children in this community. Whole generations of parents being wiped out by HIV, AIDS, and poverty-related illnesses. We as a church partner with that community. We send teams every year. And what we also do is that we sponsor a feeding program for the whole year for 100 children. We're the only people that do that in this community. So you've come here tonight and the ticket money that you've paid for or someone's paid for you, all of that money from this day and other, thing, and other ways that we raise money, all of that money will go to, to keep those kids alive. And it may be that tonight on your way out, there's a bucket at the back if you might want to contribute more. Perhaps someone bought you a ticket and you want to give to that. You're welcome to do that. But I want to say to you, your presence here this afternoon in and of itself is helping, will help to keep alive 100 kids in Africa next year. Isn't that amazing? But you know, if you were to walk through that community, you'd know life isn't perfect for those kids. And we know in the world around us, life isn't perfect. We also know that by what we experience in our lives. Whatever kind of Christmas you think you're going to have, whether it be perfect or not, you know, it isn't perfect for most people. You know, there are 600, there will be 600 million unwanted Christmas gifts this year. You know, by Boxing Day, on Boxing Day, one and a half million unwanted gifts will go up on eBay. So that gift that you spent ages and ages and ages preparing for that person, it could well go up on eBay because they don't want it on Boxing Day. One in three adults in the UK will enter 2014 in debt because of Christmas. There are more marriages that break up over Christmas than any other time in the year. More strife in families. We know life isn't perfect. And it may be that even for some of you this afternoon, you know that your life isn't perfect. You say, hey, my life isn't perfect. Perhaps your marriage is under pressure or, or your, your, your work is, is or financially you're under pressure or your health situation. You know life isn't perfect. Then all of a sudden, this almost too perfect story of Christmas hits you and it just doesn't ring true. And this doesn't help neither. I mean, this really doesn't help, does it? This kind of picture that used to be on Christmas cards and it isn't so much now. But this kind of nativity scene, it just seems too perfect to be true. I mean, Jesus was a Middle Eastern baby. So what Middle Eastern baby has blonde hair and blue eyes? And if you see some of the other pictures, when he grows up to be a man, he looks something that he's stepped out of an ABBA tribute band rather than a Middle Eastern man. It just doesn't kind of look right. And ladies, those of you that had babies, you know that if you were to have a baby with no epidural and no gas and air, you're not going to look like that. Isn't that right? 
And you also know, don't you, that with a shed full of cattle, literally, and a newborn baby, there's no such thing as a silent night. <laughs> so what we do when we look at that, and we look at it all, and we look at it, it seems too perfect to be true. So this is what we do. We confine it, or consign it rather, to myth, fairy tale, and legend. It's like the kind of stuff you believe in when you're a kid. It's not really true. Life's not like that. Life isn't that perfect. So this can't be true. But you see, the thing is, with myth, fairy tale, and legend, there's always a good point. So like English legend, King Canute, the king that tries to hold back the waves. Remember that from school? And of course, the point of that is that no matter how powerful you are, there are some things that you have no control over. That's a good moral point. What's the moral point of this story? I don't know what it is. Unless it's if you're nine months pregnant and you're going to go into the town, book a hotel online before you go. That's the only point I can think of. There's no good moral point. But then to the rescue come two guys called Matthew and Luke. Matthew and Luke both knew people involved in this original Christmas story. Matthew knew Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Luke knew Peter, who knew Jesus as a man, and James and John. And what they both did is they both said, we're going to take the time to ask eyewitnesses and to get detail. And we're going to write stuff down so people will know what really happened. And we're going to look at a little bit of what Luke said. This is something of what Luke said. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. That's just another name for Jesus. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke, who not only was a doctor, but he's also a historian, really bright guy, he said, you know what, I'm going to ask people who were there, I'm going to carefully investigate, make an account, and I'm going to write things down so that we get this accurate. This is not myth, fairy tale, or legend. These things actually happened. Then he goes on to say this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, we know from extra-biblical material, in other words, not just the Bible, but other historical documents, not part of the Christian faith, we know that there was a Quirinius who was the governor of Syria who did live at this time, and he did have a census that meant that people had to go from where they lived to where they were born. So what Luke does is he says, all this stuff, there's a geography, there's a history, there's actual times and actual places and actual events. And then in that context, he then begins to say about Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem, about giving birth to a baby, about the shepherds coming, about the wise men coming, and so on and so forth. Now, I have a question for you this afternoon. What if it's true? What if the faith, what if the faith of your childhood, many of you, is actually true? What if the faith in this story that's depicted in nativities, that's sung about in carols, that's written in the Bible. What about if it's actually true? Let's read a little bit more. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is what it says in the Bible. That what happened 2,000 years ago is that God came to earth in the form of a baby. He gave a saviour to be born. So for anybody that's feeling that life just doesn't work out for them, like that old couple, that somehow if there is a God, he must be displeased with them. 
that God comes along and says, no, I choose you. You are part of this story. There's someone who, like Mary, just thinks, well, I've done nothing to deserve God choosing me. And God comes along and says, I choose you just because I want you, just because I love you, just because I like you. This baby, this saviour has been born for you. And then to anyone who perhaps thinks themselves a little bit of an outsider, they don't really like religious people. They think religious people don't like them. In fact, they even do a deal with religious people. Some of you have done that today. And the deal is this, I'll go with you to church once a year just to kind of keep you happy. But actually, you think, do you know what? I'm, I don't really belong to this. I'm an outsider and all this stuff. And the story says, God says, and I choose to give the baby to you. He is for you. A saviour has been born to you. And 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 you know, I think that is better than perfect. It's true. It's better than perfect. It's true. You know, Santa gets a lot of letters this time of year, doesn't he? And he had a letter that read like this. Dear Santa, there are three boys that live in our house. There is Jeffrey, age two. There is David, age four. And there's Norman, age seven. Jeffrey is good some of the time. David is good some of the time. But Norman is good all of the time. P.S. I am Norman. See, he's looking for something here. You get that, don't you? Well, I don't know whether Norman was good all of the time, but I know something. I'm not good all of the time. And I have a sneaking suspicion. I have a sneaking suspicion that you're not good all the time neither. You see, we're not mistakers who just need a second chance. We're actually, the Bible says, we're sinners who need a saviour. And the reason I know that we're not just mistakers who need a second chance is that we don't keep our own rules let alone the things that God says is the best way to live. And so God knew that and God so wanted a relationship with us that he sent a saviour for you and for you and for you and for me. And that's better than perfect. That's true. So what are you going to do with that? Well, many of you in this room, you know that, you know, the words that I've said, you say, yeah, I believe that. There was a time in your life when you didn't, but you came to a point when you said, I know that that's true for me. And I want to encourage you just to celebrate that over these next couple of weeks as we head towards Christmas. But if there are any of you here this afternoon and you think, I'm not sure about all this, perhaps you'd even think, yeah, I'm one of those guys that don't really like religious people and I'm here because I've done a deal with someone. You know, I'll keep you happy and all that. Then I just want to encourage you. Why don't you check it out for yourself? You can do two things this afternoon. On your way out, by the table, on the table, there's some literature. You can take some. It's free. You can read it. You can throw it away if you don't want it. It will really make you think. But there's a more courageous thing you could do. We run a thing here called Alpha, the Alpha course. You may have heard about it. It's an eight-week course, runs on a Monday night, starts Monday, January the 13th. Eight weeks. You turn up, you get a free meal, you sit around some tables with some very friendly people. There are a whole load of other people who also have a lot of questions about Christianity and about this story, whether it's really true or not. You get a little bit of a talk and then you get a chance to ask questions and to discuss. And at the end of the eight weeks, if it's not for you, all you've done is wasted eight Monday nights and you've had some free food. But if it is true, if it is true, if it might be true, it could be the best investment you've ever made in your life. Really could. And what I'd love to encourage you to do is at the end, and we're nearly through, in the welcome area at the back, there's a sign-up sheet. You can sign up for it. And in fact, there's some really friendly people there. And in fact, Santa will be there as well. How amazing is that? 
not the actual Santa, but the guy that played Santa in our drama, you know, the Jewish Welsh thing that was going on. And he'll be there as well. Simon's one of our pastors here in the church and he oversees that whole thing. So we'd love you to do that. This is better than perfect. This is true. We'd love you to check that out for yourself. What we're going to do right now is that we're going to do something a little bit different. We've never done this before in one of our carol events. But the guys are going to come and they're going to bring these candle holders up onto stage and they're going to put some big candles all around here. And I'm going to light the big candles and then in a moment, I'm going to invite you to sing. And we're going to sing a carol which is a favourite of many of ours. It's certainly a favourite of mine. <laughs> and, and while we do that, I want to encourage some of you who actually know that this is true for you. Because, because what you, this perfect story has impacted your imperfect life. There was a moment in your life when you said, you know what, there is a saviour born not just to the world, but to me. For some of you, it may have been years ago, 10, 20, 30 years ago when this happened for you. For some of you, it happened really recently. In fact, this last week here in church, we baptised a guy who, you know, the first kind of event, Christmas event like this he came to was, was the event that we did last year. And during last year and this year, he went on that Alpha course and he found that actually this was true for him as well. So it may be that for some of you, you've been a Christian for a long time. But for some of you, you haven't been a Christian for a long time. It's been very recently where your story, your life has been impacted by this perfect story. And what we'd love you to do all the way around this auditorium is we'd love you to come and take a candle. Because what you're doing by that is responding and just putting a candle and saying, do you know what? The light of this story has penetrated my darkness. My life isn't perfect. My life isn't perfect. None of our lives are perfect. But we're just saying that God has done something in our lives and we just want to let that kind of light shine a little bit. So we're going to sing this carol. And while we stay seated and sing this carol, I want to invite you to come and to take a candle. There are loads of candles here. And to put it and to light it and to put it in the candle holder.